When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Butcher's Breakaway is brought to you by you, the listener. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. I love you so much. I don't know what I'm doing. I've been podcasting for like three hours. All right. Uh, great show today with Travis Yost. He talks about Jack Eichel, the Buffalo meltdown, disgruntled stars across the league. Greg and I break down Alexander Georgiev. And if he should start Tuesday, spoiler alert, probably not. Our friend Keith should. And a lot more. So stay tuned. We love you. Thank you so much. And here we go. Here's Mark Messier. Hi everybody, it's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Hey, Blue Breakaway fans, welcome to the week of the Blue Shirts Breakaway. I'm here with Mike, I'm here with my co-host Greg Kaplan. Greg Kaplan, say hello. Happy anniversary, Ryan. Is, are you serious? <laughs> Of what? This uh, tomorrow, March 9th, is when 365 we... days ago, was the last podcast we had before the pandemic. No way. Yeah, because I... uh, March March 10th, I got on an airplane Yep. Yeah, from Albany, New York to uh, Denver, Colorado. March 11th, I saw the New York Rangers play the Colorado Avalanche, where yep. the Rangers lost in overtime. Yep. And March 12th, the league stopped existing. And uh, we called each other. I was uh, hanging out with my uh, our, our group of friends of, that you know at this time, part of our Slack channel, et cetera, that goes off on, very frequently on this podcast, which I have closed right now. Thank you. And we called and talked about, oh, so what's the league going to look like? And little did we know I'd still be living in my living room a year later, not leaving. Awesome job. Uh, yep. Can't yep. wait to get back I, to that. I, from, uh, I, I, I remember March 11th, 2020 is just a day that's going to live in my mind forever. I just... I was at a bar with my sister and my brother-in-law getting some pregame drinks from the walk from when we got the check at the <laughs> bar to the walk to the arena, the NBA shut down. And as we were walking into the arena, I remember looking at my sister and just going, this is probably a bad idea. <laughs> we probably shouldn't be doing this right now. Yeah. Well, Hey, listen, it all worked out or did it. Um, anyway, I, I think, I think I, I vividly remember a tweet during, uh, during the game from my seat being like, I feel uncomfortable anytime anyone coughs. <laughs> Just, uh, what a, literally, yeah, March 9th, you and I recorded a podcast before Ins- I got on an airplane. That's insane. We were probably talking about what the Rangers were going to do on their back-to-back against the Stars. Yeah, and, the and they Avalanche. just they just signed Kreider, and they it was a whole thing, man. So yep, it was, it uh, was... Woof. and then we did nine months of podcasts with no hockey. 
Pokemon. Pokemon, baby. All right. We have a good show today, though. We got Travis Yost from TSN on. We talked 45 minutes with him. All things Jack Eichel. All things Disgruntled Superstar. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent interview. And uh, I think we've actually buried the lead here is that, our you know, our, our friend our friend Keith played the game for the New York Rangers. I'm just saying. He did. That's pretty that cool. Happened. Uh, I feel pretty bad for him when he had a 2v1 versus Malkin. That sucked. And I just – it's the year – we talked about what the year was like in 2020. Mm-hmm. It's the year 2021. And I'm now at a point where I think it's – I'm going to be legitimately angry if Keith Kincaid doesn't start a game for the New York Rangers isn't on it, Tuesday night. Isn't it insane that I agree with you? Because Georgiev, he looks – I mean, I don't know how to put this lightly to Ranger fans. I really don't. Georgiev, during that game, when he let up three goals in what was it, under 50 seconds, two minutes, whatever you want to call it at this point in time, and they were all – I mean, I know Sidney Crosby's great and everything, but all those goals were savable. They, you know, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, it wasn't Georgiev's fault. Like, I feel like the goal versus Keith Gitkade, our, our dear friend, as you know, uh, when he was 2v1 versus Malkin, or it was like 4v1 later on, uh, you know, I, I thought that wasn't really his fault, and I thought Keith played well. Georgiev has let up softies all year. He looks excellent at some points, but really the excellency wears off very quickly, and he lets in these... Casual, even against the Devils, a game the Rangers absolutely dominated, Greg. Dominated the whole time. Georgiev led in softies over and over again. He can't stop a breakaway to save his life. I said him, me pronouncing hockey, pronouncing, pronouncing hockey names and Georgiev stopping breakaways, two things that are never going to happen. It's never happening. And Georgiev, right now, I don't think he deserves to be the starter. The last time you and I spoke, Ewer Shosturkin, we didn't know how long he was going to be out. He's on the trip with the Rangers. I don't think he should be healthy enough to start Tuesday. Today, you're listening to this versus uh, the Penguins on the second game of the week versus the Penguins. I just don't see a situation where it's not Keith's game to play because I have news for you. Keith was the better goalie that night, and he looked pretty great from not playing in the NHL from November 19th, and I can't believe we're spending this too much much time talking about Keith, but it's it's true and, and rather funny. Yeah, I for starters, I, I, I thought the Rangers scoring six goals covered up a pretty – so-so performance from Georgiev the night before against the Devils. Yep. Um, if that if the Rangers didn't score six goals and that's a closer game, I think we're having a much harder look at Georgiev's game. This is a conclusion I came to on my own, but I want to give credit to someone that's actually smart and actually knows what the hell they're talking about. Okay. And it's something that Nick Mercadante, who has been on this podcast before, mm-hmm. has talked about extensively on Twitter before. Georgiev just doesn't have any rebound control. It, it, it's... It's one of the most bonkers things I've ever seen from a goalie. And I think part of it, it's not his fault because not his fault in terms of we have no choice but to grade him against Henrik Lundqvist, who is the goat. So it, like, obviously everyone's going to look a little worse, but we've also had a, a fairly long run of good backups behind Hank, specifically on Tiranta. Georgiev just, the best saves that Georgiev makes or because he's put himself in difficult positions because he didn't control the first shot. It it really does drive me up a wall. And I do think that the Georgiev conversation, it, it's been ratcheting up the last couple of days, um, mainly because Igor got hurt. And because, I mean, flat out, look, Keith doesn't need either of us boosting his ego. He's got all the time in the world to do that himself. <laughs> True. So much better against the Pens than Georgiev did. And it's like we've given Georgiev a pass on some things this year because Tony D'Angelo pissed him off so much that he punched him in the face. Yep. And now D'Angelo is not a Ranger anymore. Yep. And I feel, cause I, 
I go back to that night a little bit because that night was also against the Penguins, and Georgiev also struggled against the Penguins, and Georgiev made two critical errors in overtime that did cost the New York Rangers that hockey game. And if it was just not Tony D'Angelo on the ice, like say it was Adam Fox on the ice, who by all accounts seems like just a delightful human being. Fox doesn't react the way D'Angelo reacts to that situation. And maybe we're just having different conversations about the New York Rangers this year. Because, I mean, no, the way D'Angelo handles anything is inappropriate, incorrect, and wrong. But also, it was fair to say Georgiev was at fault for that loss. Like, it's, it's not, I'm not defending anything D'Angelo did, but no, the fact of the matter is Georgiev absolutely misplayed, yeah, bro. He, was, he did. Yeah, he, he lo- Georgiev lost that game. And we've been saying that a little bit more this year than we have at any point since Georgiev became a New York Ranger. And this, this more than anything else, is part of the reason why on this show, in our opinion, we've talked about trading Georgiev to other teams because the perception in the league of Georgiev always felt higher than the actual returns that we were getting. And it's, I think it's becoming evident, like especially this year, and you could chalk it up to a number of different things that he's playing the same teams over and over again, and these teams can find weaknesses in goalies the more they see them so they can expose those weaknesses more easily. All of that good stuff is possible. But it's also possible that Alex Georgiev just isn't that good and shouldn't be considered a long-term piece for the New York Rangers, and we have felt this way for a while, which is why we've been trying to trade him in fake trades for a while. It's going to get to a point where... The league's going to get, uh, I don't know. We have Travis Yost on this show, and we kind of talk about how the league doesn't get smart. No, they don't. But, you know, you feel like you feel like the apex of Georgiev's trade value has come and gone. But we also know that the Rangers love him and that they see Dude, something. They in love him, him they so much. Him. Like, I, I, I go back to last year, right before the pandemic again. We were talking to James Myrtle on this podcast. We had a special BSB OT the Leafs were supposedly interested in trading to Georgiev. We have had Steve Dangle on. He, they said that he, they, they talked about on his show. Hey, they were interested in trading for Georgiev. Georgiev had this potential trade value. And I'm just not sure it's anywhere near what it was last year. And your option was keep keep Georgie and keep Igor. Or And listen, we didn't know what was going to happen to Hank. We had no idea that he would was going to have open heart surgery. Absolutely no clue at that point in time. So you couldn't make that perception of what was going to happen, but your options were keep Igor and Hank or keep Igor and George, Georgie. Cause jo- Igor, and I don't think this is a secret, even though sometimes I, I feel like people that don't know the Rangers uh, that well are asking it. Igor is the future. There's no doubt about it, right? You and I, we, I think we have another decade with Igor in front of us. I think it's very palpable. It's probably going to happen, but Georgie, they decided to keep him because I guess they saw him as actual asset as someone they could keep around as a valuable backup once Hank ended up retiring or moving on. And well, not, what... not to cut you off, Ryan, but I, I think it's important. I think it's important to, to send this point home. Mm-hmm. We have evidence to suggest the Rangers never saw Georgiev as a backup. They see him as a legit starter. No, that's true. And it's, ju- it's one of those things where it just so the, in the Rangers mind, it just so happens that they have to, it, it, they're not keeping Georgiev because they think he's a good backup. I, we, we know the Rangers, have a history of turning backup goalies into assets. Again, going back to Auntie Ranta, but you, you can go straight down the line with guys the Rangers have had backing up Hank over the years. They know when they have a backup goalie. They all play well because of the system the Rangers put in place 
with Benoit Allaire and such. But the Rangers treat Georgiev differently because they don't see him as backup. They legitimately think he is a number one caliber goaltender in the National Hockey League. And like we say with other evaluations this team tends to make, we don't see the evidence ourselves. It It's clear this year, and even when he was playing his best hockey, you and, you and I specifically, I can't speak for other people. I, I know Nick Mercanate definitely too, so I, I don't feel bad putting him in this discussion. We've had doubts from the beginning. It, it's, it's con- I, I don't want to call it, con- again, you can't call it concerning because Igor exists, right? Igor so like, exists. The Rangers, like, that's my next decade yeah. of your life. Like, let's not right. freak The Rangers out. have this magic magic eraser where every question we ask about Alexander Georgiev, it's really not that important because Igor Shosturkin is right there. And when things go poorly with Georgiev, like we think they will go poorly with Georgiev, it's fine. Like, we don't need to be in the market for another goalie. So that's not the, that's not the problem we're pointing out here. The problem we're pointing out here is, once again, it seemed like the New York Rangers had an asset. And it seems like once again they've miscalculated with that asset. It's so weird. They to... went. It's possible, and I don't think we would have said this even three, four months ago. But it's very possible the New York Rangers are going to go zero for three on restricted free agents. They're going to they they kind of missed the boat on Georgiev. Mm-hmm. The boat sank with D'Angelo, and they've made it so clear that they don't value Ryan Strom that I don't know how they'll get value for Ryan Strom. I think Ryan Strom is playing himself into value right now, but I agree. I was My point was going to bring up is it's so funny looking back at last year's trade deadline now. Kreider was obviously the big prize that the Rangers were shopping at, at the time. You know, I heard rumors, uh, and I'm sure you did too, of the of the Colorado trade packages that were there on until the last second until Kreider signed that, those pages. But at that also same time, they were trying to trade George uh, Georgiev, they were trying to trade Strom, they were trying to trade D'Angelo, and they couldn't do I, any three of those. But I, Georgiev, while it's true about Strom and D'Angelo, we have no evidence to suggest the Rangers were ever shopping Georgiev. We know they got phone calls about him. That's true. And the, we know the Rangers put a ridiculous price tag on him. The only evidence we I have is, a, the, is like a quote from Jeff Gordon saying that's too low about uh, some particular package that was offered to him with Georgiev. Yeah, we, the Rangers made trying to acquire Georgiev as difficult as possible. We we know they were shopping other guys, we, but we know they were getting phone calls. I think that's a very important difference that is worth pointing out on the show. There's a difference between shopping a guy and getting calls on a guy. Um, you get calls on just about everybody, but there are only certain players that you actually make available. I don't think the New York Rangers ever made Georgiev available. Man. I don't think they wanted to make Georgiev available. I'm not convinced they want to make Georgiev available today. I just, I know for, all I know for a fact is you can't come up with a defensible reason to put Georgiev back in goal on Tuesday night over Keith Kincaid against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That, that's just a fact. There's, there's nothing you can say based on Georgiev's most recent crop of games and even based on the 38 minutes that Keith played against the Penguins this season. Flat out, it, it's, it's, it needs to be Keith's goal on Tuesday. I'm not just saying that as his friend. I would love to make fun of Keith. I, there's oh, a part me of too. me that is upset Keith didn't give up six more goals <laughs> because that would have provided me with about seven years of content when it comes to talking with Keith. If you don't think I don't get run out of bringing up the fact that he only won bronze at the World Championships, you're nuts. That's the only thing I could make fun of Keith for. You know why? Because he's six foot four and gorgeous. Like <laughs> the dude's doing fine. He doesn't need a stupid ass podcaster like me trying to come up with reasons to make fun of him. He's he's one. 
He did it. He he, he's, he, dra- he's, he dragged he's, the New Jersey Devils to the playoffs where they only lost against the Tampa Bay Lightning. There you yeah, go. The, he's accomplished it, man. He's He's done it all. He doesn't need you or me sitting here trying to come up with reasons for why he should start. Fact of the matter is, Keith played well against the Penguins. Keith has played well against the Penguins in his career. Yorgiev has stunk against the Penguins this year, and they're playing the Penguins on Tuesday. It's not rocket science. We're not breaking the boat. We're not even saying there's a goalie controversy because we know there isn't. As soon as Igor comes back, it's Igor and Georgiev all over again. Keith will go back to being even, the Rangers. Even if that's goalie. Not, maybe not the right decision. Seriously. Uh, and well, I, it is. It's the right decision because you're not going to expose Georgiev to waivers. That's clear. and, the, and that's he's clear. Wa- he's not waiver exempt anymore. So yep. the Rangers have put themselves in a position where they really don't have a choice but to keep both uh, to keep specifically Georgiev on the NHL roster. Again, like we, the conversation of whether the Rangers should be shopping Georgiev, that, that's different. The answer to that is like firmly yes, but it's been firmly yes for the last 20 months and the Rangers don't want to do it. So it's, again, it, it's kind of, it goes back to the man rocket discussions. That hey. we, have we can sit here on this podcast and talk until we're blue in the face about the things the man rocket does. And doesn't speaking. Do. All I know is he looks good. Bachelor, and that's all that matters. That's our season 28, um, baby. It, it it's almost no point of us spending so many minutes on the show talking about things that we just know aren't going to happen. So, yeah, should the Rangers should Georgiev be the Rangers' long term backup goalie? No, because you probably shouldn't have a long term backup goalie. It's like saying you have a long term sixth inning reliever. It's just it's not a position you need to be filling for the next five years. It should be one that is a revolving door because you can find new assets by doing this. But it's starting to feel like the Rangers have missed their window a little bit here because, again, all you have to do is go back to podcasts we did in late 2019, November, December 2019. Was I wrong to say they should trade for Jeremy Bracco? Yeah, Bracco flunked out of the league. That's on me. But the, the point of the discussion was the Rangers had an asset that they quite literally don't need and that might have value across the league. They don't want to shop it. And for that, I have I, I got nothing. I want to make one, count, not counterpoint to what you're saying, because I agree with everything you said there, but I want to just, if Quinn does start Georgiev, or Georgiev, however you want to say it these days, what, I, I think his... How do you want to say it? I mean, his name is Georgiev. Yeah. <laughs> you call him Georgiev because that's how it's spelled, but you've also been wrong the entire time. I, I love being his wrong. His name is Georgiev. Love it. And uh, I want to say, at least I think Quinn would take the logic of this is the last, I, I want to show confidence in, in, in Georgie at this point in time to, to show him that I trust him as a goalie. And despite his literal meltdown in a, in a minute and a half versus the Penguins, I want to give him one more chance to really prove himself before, you know, Igor gets back or I, I ride Keith a game or two here. Uh, that would be the logic if Georgie did end up starting. And I, I just want to make everyone prepared for that if that does happen. Because I think I, Keith should start. Everything we said here is I, I totally agree, man. But I think that's where Quinn would probably head. Yeah, at the same time, it's Quinn's words recently and not ours when he says he wants everything to be a meritocracy. And we've been seeing it a little bit more. He benched Mika Zibanejad for 10 minutes on Saturday or yep. whenever that game was. Was that Thursday? Saturday. That... It was Saturday. No, it was Thursday, right? Didn't we do a podcast after? Shit, I don't know. They all blend. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was Thursday. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, you're right. Thursday. I don't know. All, I know what happened a year ago. I don't know what happened three days ago. That pretty much speaks to my entire existence at this point in time. Uh, but Quinn is holding people responsible when they're not playing. 
right? Uh, again, I don't want to get into a man rocket discussion, so I'm not going to. Yep. But if you're if you're not playing well, Quinn is starting to lay down the hammer. It doesn't it doesn't matter who you are, and if you're going to hold Mika Zibanejad to that standard, there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't be holding Alexander Georgiev to that standard too. No one's going to come on this show and say Zibanejad is less important than Georgiev. That would be batshit crazy, and you'd be wrong to say it. I don't. We we make fun of you if you said it. So if you're going to hold your star to one standard, you're not going to hold your backup goalie to the same standard. I don't know what you're doing. I really don't. I think we've we've and again, you know, people accuse us of being Quinn defenders all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this as someone that knows the guy. If Quinn's goal is to win a hockey game Tuesday night, I don't know how he can look at that game and not start Keith Kincaid. I agree with you. All right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? about ranger wise that we missed topics i, I think george georgiev <laughs> is the big topic uh, why start now georgiev uh is the yeah, i don't start. know why you would start now yeah. we talk his name comes up at least once time. every two weeks yeah. and you constantly I just go with georgiev why start i've now? even told you when we're not recording I, that it's georgiev not only that you've told us when we were recording uh, yeah <laughs> oh boy uh, I, I don't think there's any other really like, gigantic takeaways. I thought the, I thought the Rangers had a tremendous first period versus the Penguins. Uh, one of their best analytic periods ever until the meltdown happened, and they just lost all life to play. The Devils game uh, was was a slaughter. They really did. They went in there and uh, absolutely dismantled Lindy Ruff's Devils, which don't look like they're in the best place right now. Jack Hughes scored, and then the Rangers were like, yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and score six here. And uh, other than that... Uh, I don't really, there's not, like, I, Mika looks like he's maybe taking a corner step, even though he had a couple of, uh... He's taking a corner step? Did you mean to say he's rounding the corner or he's taking a step forward? Yes, but I mixed them together, uh, sort of a fusion yeah. of the two. Uh, Just wanted to make sure. Ryan, I didn't know if taking a corner step Yeah, was Ryan, like taking step a corner step is a, is a Ryan fusion, as we call it in the uh, ter- uh, terminology world. But yes, I, other, I guess, other than that, there's nothing really much I could say. Strom looks good. Some of the like, – Adam Fox looks fine. Jack Johnson is a war hero, according to uh, Sam Rosen. <laughs> That's all I have, really. Um, Heedles looked amazing. I, Incredible. I think we'd be doing ourselves a, dis- a disservice by not simply just – I don't have I – don't, I don't think we need to go into deep detail about how good Philip Heedle is looking. But if anybody was worried about Philip Heedle looking rusty coming off of a four-plus week injury to his hand and or arm – uh, those have been quelled. He's looked great every time. He's, he's arguably the most notable, noticeable Ranger over the last week. Uh, Jacob Truba coming back out of nowhere. Wolverine. I don't know how the hell that happened. It, well, it, it's even more stunning because we just we know that David Quinn likes to get guys into practices before they play. Hell, he did it with Kako. I know. Last week yeah, as and well. Kako looks has looked amazing, by the way. Yep, but Truba coming back without the need of a practice is utterly remarkable I, I didn't see that one coming um I do want to say we talk a lot about Jack Eichel with Travis so I don't want to step on a lot of points that we made there right I will I just want to make one overarching point before we go to Travis here it it, it it's getting a little annoying how people don't want to trade anything for Jack Eichel like guys I, I you and I are the champions of saying listen it's not going to take as much as you think it's going to take to get Jack Eichel, but some of the lines being drawn. Oh, my dude, there's, there's going to be, it's going to be a haul. It's not going to be something that you feel comfortable with. It, but it, it just, the guy I want to pinpoint on is Niels Lundqvist really in my mind, because is there, we're at a point now where the Rangers have like two positions 
of just almost too much depth, right? Nizalquist is a is going to be your third pairing defenseman. Like that's not how you I, may, also maybe Ryan Niels Lundqvist won't be the first defenseman ever to have a historic European career come over here and not play well. Like I know I know everything's going to shit in Buffalo, but it's not like Rasmus Dahlin is busting down doors. He is not. I mean, as Travis talks about. Yeah, it, we have to remember that not every prospect. The Rangers are on a, this incredible streak where it seems like every prospect is just reaching their ceiling, right? I know that Keandre Miller had a tough game against the Penguins. That notwithstanding, we all think the world of him. Lindgren and Fox look like the Rangers' top defensive pairing for the next 10 years, right? Kako is taking the leap. Heedle is taking the leap. Lafreniere is making progress. All these things are true, and it's like so many good things are happening to the Rangers that we forget that Lieber Hayek, not great. Brett Howden, the man rocket, besides looking great, Everybody likes to poke fun at his analytics on Twitter. The Rangers aren't going to hit with every prospect. They're lottery tickets. And while the lottery ticket, you have more information about it because it's been three years since the Rangers drafted Lundqvist, that's great. It doesn't mean he's a sure thing. And if the Sabres say we aren't doing this deal without Niels Lundqvist, you are lying if you're saying you don't do the deal. Because, And I make this point, honestly, I'm okay with trading Booch. For Eichel, for reasons, again, like flash flash forward three weeks from now, Ryan, I guarantee you we are talking about people on Twitter being angry about Kravtsovs and Julian Gauthier's ice time. And I, I, as I see it coming, I will remind people that you can only play four wingers in your top six. And you're not taking one of Lafreniere, Kako, or Panarin when he's back. You're not going to take ice time away from one of those three to get more ice time to craps off you, and go. You could probably say so Buchnevich in that too, by the way. I Yeah, if Buchnevich is a New York Ranger, you're not taking his ice time away either. But again, the Rangers have an embarrassment of riches at wing now. And if it takes Pavel Buchnevich, who is due for a big raise after this season as a restricted free agent himself, if, that, if that's what it takes to get Eichel, you do it too because you take from a position of excess to address a significant weakness. And the Rangers' significant weakness right now is center depth. And... The same thing applies for Lundqvist, and the same thing applies for all the first-round picks. If the Sabres wanted 10 first-round picks, trade them. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> Sometimes the, that, that, that's really what drives me bonkers the last couple of days about Matt Barzal, because not only is Barzal playing great hockey. Out of his mind, by the like way. Totally. The, the conversation that we're having on Twitter now being like, well, you can't trade Lundqvist. Well, you can't trade Heedle. Well, you can't trade Lafreniere. Well, you can't trade Kako. Hell, I don't even want to trade Kraftsoff. You can't even trade Booch. You know, you could have got Barzal without trading any of those guys, Ryan. All you had to do was give up four mythical creatures that don't currently exist. You had to give up the mystery box in order to get And, and if you're a good team, you've, you've all seen the charts. Outside of, like, pick 15, the drop-off is substantial. It is hard to find talent late in the first round. No doubt about it. And if you're looking to be in those late 20s in the next coming years because you're going to be a competitive team, why not? It makes no sense makes no sense uh you and and the thing people are like well greg they didn't have the cap space i got news for you you combine the salaries they gave strom d'angelo and johnson it was ten and a half million dollars there's your ten and a half million dollars you just simply i don't know don't sign those guys because you signed matt barzal and you make everything else work it just i uh, well greg it's going to tie up the rangers long-term cap space is it <laughs> is it though because the rangers <laughs> don't have anyone long-term 
Mika Zibanejad not signed long-term. Yep. If you have Matt Barzal, Mika Zibanejad starts to struggle. Well, all of a sudden, you have leeway in negotiations with Mika Zibanejad. Pavel Buchnevich, sure, fine, whatever. You can have a conversation about him long-term. While Adam Fox is hitting, let's hope he keeps hitting. Maybe he doesn't. Same goes for Kako. Like, you're, you're making theoretical contracts for players. We don't know what their ceiling's actually going to be. I hope Capococco is worthy of a $10 million contract. Doesn't mean he's going to be. We also know for a fact that the NHL just doesn't pay their players. So that first bridge contract for all these kids, going to be stupid cheap anyway. It's like, it, it's, guys, like, if you don't want to trade your fun pieces for Jack Eichel, then I never want to hear another damn word about what you shouldn't you can't give up four first round picks for a restricted free agent elias Patterson, i don't know if you know this ryan he's pretty good yeah we mentioned his name later on in the we show do. he's going to be a restricted free agent coming up shortly fuck out of here if you're going to tell me you don't want to trade for eichel and i come to you and say fine give elias Patterson the bag you're not allowed to say anything oh i would I give just... elias Patterson four first round picks right now they're not yeah. it's not a question let's do that right now not even close yeah. I'm ready to it's sign a, up. But, but the other thing is, like, we're talking about Eichel trades, and you're going to eventually give up the equivalent of four first-round picks. The difference is what, Schneider, we know who two of the first. Yes. We, <laughs> we know who two of the first first-round picks are. We have more information on them. I'd much rather. I don't know who the hell. I, Sam Stern will know who the hell is going to be in the 2024 draft. But you know who won't know who's in the 2024 draft? Greg Kaplan. So if you want that pick, go for it. I traded. I, no one likes talking about fantasy sports. Nobody. But you know why I trade future picks all the time? Why? Because I just hope the league doesn't exist in the future. <laughs> so I don't even care. You think I care about a 2023 first-round pick in our dynasty football league I traded for Marlon Mack? No. Who the fuck knows I, well, what the world's going to look like in 2023? League might not exist. I wanted Marlon back. He broke his – he tore his Achilles tendon. Enough, I'm not happy Enough for your that. football team. Enough. Uh, I just – the point is – the point is – if you're upset with what the New York Rangers might trade for Jack Eichel, should have just fucking signed Barzal. That's all I'm saying. I'm yep. mad about it. Mad about it. All right. Uh, I'm not going to go through every five-star question this week. We'll probably cover a lot more of them next week. But most of them say either, are you happy with Eichel? What are the deal packages for Eichel? Or who scores first, Howden or Shesterkin? And I think it's Shesterkin. Um, <laughs> Red Howden. We really need to institute the I, – I, I marvel. I really do marvel at the people who find a new reason to get angry at Brett Howden's existence. We all know he's bad. Yeah, it's but not we a also secret know anymore. That the NHL doesn't think he's bad. So it's like, where's your anger supposed to be? I does it make sense? I don't know. I I, I I don't have the energy like I used to to be upset about. I'm an old man now, um, Greg. Yeah, fourth fourth line centers and future first round draft picks just don't they don't have meaning in my life currently. Um, yeah, I just there's a part of me that legitimately feels bad for Brett Howden. It seems like the Rangers kind of screwed him. The dude just the fact that he's never played a single minute for the Hartford Wolfpack kind of blows my mind. It, it, it's illogical when you consider the fact that Tito went down three times, Lindgren went down twice, Kravtsov's been down. Like people with higher pedigree than Brett Howden have gone to play for Hartford, and for whatever reason, the New York Rangers refused to let Howden play in Hartford. Uh, it's 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 mind-boggling, but he's a good-looking dude. That's he's it. Be fine. That's for twenty-seven. All right, uh, let's go to our our, uh, our little interview with Travis Yost from TSN. We talk Jack Eichel. We talk disgruntled superstars. A ton of stuff. Before that, let's get to our sponsors of this show. Transition. 
Hey, we're back with our first and only guest of the day. We have a recurring guest, Travis Yost, TSN. Travis, thank you so much for joining us. I love first and only. That means I'm the most important today. That's it. Uh, just me, Greg, and you. The most important people in my life. Me, you, and Greg. That's it. <laughs> uh, we brought you on to talk about the burning question. Every single episode for the past couple weeks for us has has been a little bit about a man named Jack Eichel. Just a little bit. And last week, the Buffalo Sabres had a what would be called a Friday news dump in an emergency press conference where they pretty much said, hey, Eichel hasn't asked for a trade. We're going to explore our options. Everything we're doing here is unacceptable. And it, it did seem uh, to like something I've watched before in like a Knicks press conference from three years ago or many, many years in a row. Explain to me exactly what's going on with Buffalo and why they need to have that press conference right off the rip. First off, there's no need. There's no need to bring up the K word. No one wants to talk <laughs> about the Knicks. Certainly, certainly not me. That was a low blow. We're not going there. But, but, uh, look, the, the Sabres situation is fascinating because it is a complete dumpster fire. And, and that is, that gets thrown around a lot whenever teams are struggling. But I'll give you a great example. The Detroit Red Wings are unwatchable. They're unwatchable. But they're not a dumpster fire. They're going to be in the middle of a long – they're in the middle of an early part of a long rebuild. There's some cohesion of a plan. Everyone knows they're going to suck. They're playing for picks. Like, yes, you may not be excited about watching the Red Wings today, but tomorrow you might be, right? The Sabres are a terrible team that are paper-cutting themselves, I think, for pure enjoyment. Let's, let's just talk about how you get to a situation where you may have to trade Jack Eichel. This and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it to a specific point on on what they are doing with the lineup this year. And you can say this is a front office problem, and I believe that to be true, uh, and an ownership problem. You could say it's a coaching problem, that is absolutely true. And you could say there's a personnel underperformance problem, which is also true. So you've got basically you've you've hit a trifecta uh, across the board in Buffalo. And look at what the Sabers are doing right now. So people who aren't watching, and you, trust me, you're the lucky ones. What they have done, one of their first moves to start the year was to put Jeff Skinner, who two years ago scored 40 goals and was coming off an underwhelming 2019-20 season where he had about 40 points. Uh, their, their idea was, well, now that we have Taylor Hall, um, we're a little stacked on the left side with him and Victor Olsen. And so Jeff Skinner's the odd man out. And I, I don't know that that only ever made sense, but I mean, you can make an argument that Skinner's the third best winger there of those three. So, okay, he's going to have to slide. Can have to get creative. Uh, the Sabres said, you know what? We're going to put this guy on the fourth line with Curtis Lazar and Riley Shan and hope he can break out of a slump. Uh, I can tell you that Curtis Lazar and Riley Shan have been in the league for years and no one scores with them because they are not good at hockey. So you've now sabotaged a player who's in the second year of an eight-year deal. Jeff Skinner can't score. He has zero confidence now. He's still generating tons of shots, but guess what? They're coming from Curtis Lazar. They're coming from Riley Shane, and they're coming from third-pairing defensemen who can barely break the team out to begin with. The reason why I bring up Jeff Skinner is this is literally how you sabotage what could have been a valuable asset, and in a worst-case scenario, a salvageable asset where maybe you have to pay to get off his contract and give up a pick, and maybe it goes into rebuild 6.0. But there are ways to salvage things. It's clear to me that the coaching staff, the front office, and ownership as a group, have no cohesion or a game plan whatsoever. And now you have a situation where your second highest paid player has been a routine healthy scratch. Your top line, which is generating decent amount of offensive volume, 
can't buy a bounce, and they are certainly underwhelming from years past. And you have a bottom nine, and I, this is a cheap plug moment. I wrote about this this week in hey. Buffalo News. You have a you have a bottom nine through the Co- the Eric Stahl line, the Cody Eakin line, and the Curtis Lazar line predominantly, who are fundamentally incapable of getting into the slot to generate shots. And it's like, well, how do you get a team that's 31st in scoring at five on five? How do you get to that point? And the answer is, well, if you just play along the perimeter and use your your defenseman on the blue line as your relief valve shooting options, that's what you're going to get. And all of this, and we could go on this for 45 minutes, right? But it is the death by a thousand paper cuts where the where ultimately the best player on the team by a considerable uh, differential in Jack Eichel is probably looking around right now, and he said as much at the end of last season where he's not saying he wants to trade, but he's certainly not coming out and saying, I love being a Sabre, we're going to turn this around. And we have seen so many players do that when they believe it's a lull, when they believe it's a short-term issue, when they are truly embedded with the city and the franchise that they are playing for, and it has nothing to do with big or small market, right? It, you, you've seen that, and just again, as a, as a comparison, right? Everyone all of a sudden wants to play for the Buffalo Bills now, right? So it's not, a, it's not necessarily a small town thing. And you get to a situation where one of the, I don't know, 25 most talented players in hockey, 20, and certainly a, a, a high, high-end first-line center, could be available via trade because the rest of your team sucks. I mean, think about that. That is ultimately where the Sabres are at, and they are now staring down the barrel yet again of a fatalistic trade that will not end well for them with Jack Eichel. Oh, and by the way, I should mention, Jack Eichel is at career lows in offensive production. Great time to trade him. So it's going to be a boon for whoever can acquire him if he truly becomes available. To me, it screams Ryan O'Reilly trade 2.0 and probably even worse than that. Travis, you can't possibly be suggesting that the Sabres may have made an error by hiring the former Edmonton Oilers coach, who went to England to run a soccer team before coming back to the NHL. You can't possibly be suggesting that he's part of the problem. I, I, I am suggesting he's part of the problem. <laughs> I, will, I will defend Ralph Kruger on one point, though. I, and this is, this is kind of a, self, a self-check I, I do from time to time. Uh, when when because it's very hard to decouple front office and coaching like that that's just a fact right so much of it is interrelated so it becomes very hard to get a proxy for who's really driving the bus who's a passenger or in this case who's to blame there are clearly things to pick at with the lineup with Kruger and that's why he certainly shares some of the blame but where is the front office in this I mean <laughs> this is someone mentioned this yesterday I had forgotten about it they offered Cody Eakin a two year deal. Two years. Mm. I mean, some of this stuff is, is mind-bending. And, and ultimately, I ask, let's say you picked the fifth-best coach in the NHL, the seventh-best coach in the NHL, however you stack them up, and you put them in Buffalo this year, what would their record look like? If it's pretty similar to what we're seeing now, uh, let's say within five or six standings points, then you have a real core personnel problem. And again, I don't want to. I don't want to just basically let the players completely off the hook, too, right? I, I think the players have to carry some of the burden, just like the front office does, just like the coaching staff does. But it, it is so hard to understand what the plan here is. And this Friday panicked presser, which I mean, it, it reminded me of the mid March, uh, you know, mid March of 2020 administration. Like, oh, guess what? Coronavirus might be here, but we're going to take care of it. That, that's, 
that was the vibe I got from that presser last week. And I, I, I feel bad for Kevin Adams. I feel bad for the entire organization because for any one person you can look at and say, man, they're really in a tough spot. And then you can turn that coin on, the, on its head and say, yeah, but are they contributing to the problem? And I think in most cases the answer has been yes to that. It, with the press, presser, I mean, I, what I found so surprising, at least in my opinion, is like you said earlier, the Bills are so good right now. And to have, it makes me feel like, did they just focus everything on the Bills and just say, well, we don't really care about the Sabres. They're not our moneymaker in the long run. Well, it's it's reverse Dolan, where Dolan focuses so much on the Knicks, which is why the Knicks struggle and ignores the Rangers. But the Pagulas focus so much on the Bills that they forgot about the Sabres. And this is what happens when you forget about the Sabres. I just, I don't know. It, there There's never been a... There's never been a plan, right? Good, bad, or otherwise. Like, we have seen some truly terrible plans in the NHL in the last 20 years. But at least, like, you know, outside observers kind of knew how teams were angling. Like, we've seen, just in the last couple years, right? Like, Ottawa is in the midst of this absolutely massive rebuild. Their their owner, who, speaking of James James Dolan, right? Like, um, he came out and made a very accurate point, which is, Name me another team that basically tear down its, tore down its entire top six and their best defenseman and one of the best defenders in his prime maybe the league has ever seen. They moved them all in two years. I mean, a massive rebuild. And they basically said, hey, look, there's going to be some pain for a few years, and there certainly has been. But you squint through the lineup, and you're like, oh, you know, he looks pretty good. He looks pretty good. He's on his way. He's 22. He's 21. And, and I mean, the Rangers are a great example of this, right? The Rangers are in the middle of a fairly lengthy rebuild. They're not having an outstanding year. Certain players are having an uh, obvious down year. Mika Zibanejad has been a wreck for most of the year. But there's other players that have stepped up. And it's like, ah, yeah, Adam Fox looks pretty good. Uh, Ryan Strom has actually looked quite good again this year. Like, there are a number of players that are you can see them. It's like, oh, yeah, they're positive contributors. I look at the Sabres lineup. Victor Olofsson. Um, I think that might be it. I cannot <laughs> think of another player. I'm, I'm, ser- I'm serious right now, and please check me if I'm wrong. I cannot think of another player who year over year I, – I take that back. Sam Reinhardt has looked pretty good. So let's say two players have looked as good, if not better, than they did a year ago. I mean, that, that is a fundamental problem. And if you don't have a solution for that and you're given panicky pressures about – we're analyzing everything. We're going to figure it out. Like, I got it. You're, in a rel- you're a relatively new GM, and that's probably true at this point. But planning starts from the top. It always starts with ownership, especially when you have individual owners like the Sabres do. And I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there has been that the Bills ATM machine has started like, printing money out of nowhere, and the Sabres cannot get out of the mud. And I think that the attention – has turned the way of football, and that's probably not a good uh, development for the hockey. You, you pretty much said there's never been a plan, but there's there's one part I have to disagree with you there, and that's the plan was to get Jack Eichel or McDavid. They got him. Now, since they've gotten Jack Eichel, they've written nothing else down on paper at all. That's super clear. I mean, I haven't even watched Dalim, but I haven't really heard of, like a tremendous great things about like the first overall pick a couple years ago. This guy was supposed to be like a generational defenseman. Am I missing anything with like there? It's not like there's lacking talent. Taylor Hall, they signed him to to come there, and now I think he's not even like I'm sure he's a tradable asset. I, I'm curious as to how you feel about this upcoming NHL trade deadline and how it'll actually work. But 
even that, like, he's not exactly ripping the doors off here. They they don't ex- – what is what is the talent? Like you said, like, Eichel only scores against the Rangers, his future team. That's it right now. <laughs> that's all that's going. Uh, first off, good check. They, that was – and by the way, I, I, I still to this day think – by the way, I promise I'm not doing this on purpose. Another cheap plug. I wrote about today, literally today for TSN. Wow. The 2015, dra- the 2015 draft class has a chance to be one of the best draft classes we've seen in the last 20 years. I mean, they are on fire relative to their peers. They have 14 players that came out of the first round, not including Jack Eichel this year because he's been off to it. He's off to a really slow start offensively. 14 players in the first round are beating average goal scoring, uh, rate goal scoring this season in the NHL right now. That is one of every two players that came out of the first round. That is remarkable when you consider that there were probably eight defensemen taken in the first round that year, too. Um, so that, that draft was a massive boon. And why do I bring that up? Jack Eichel went number two. And Jack Eichel has been outstanding for them. The problem is tanking was a plan. Getting McDavid or Eichel was a plan. And again, I would argue a very good one. Look at Connor McDavid and look at Jack Eichel minus these 20 games. They have been superstars in the NHL. But you get a, you get a superstar – the next question is, well, then what? And I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Edmonton Oilers have done a materially better job building around Connor McDavid than, than the Sabres have around Eichel, and the Oilers haven't even done a good job of that, right? They, they, they fell – that's not fair. They land, they land Leon Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, still a core piece. Um, but they've been able to at least build some semblance of a top six and, and, and their defensive prospects are starting to come through the blue line, right? It's like, okay, like, yeah, the bottom is a joke, and Mike Smith is having a weirdly great year, but no one trusts him at all, and there's plenty of stuff to fix. But it's like, you can, again, you can see stuff there that you like. I, I cannot, outside of Olsen and, and, and Reinhardt, I have not been impressed with anyone this year. I think the Taylor Hall signing did make a lot of sense. I, I think the Sabres were opportunistic there. It is just cash. It was going to be open cap space to begin with anyway, and Taylor Hall has not been the problem in Buffalo. Um, you, you can argue that the first line should be scoring more, but they are generating a lot of value, not, 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 you know, not getting a lot of puck luck. That, that is clear. The shooting percentages are an all-time low, but he's a very tradable asset. And like that, isn't that the entire point with Jeff Skinner, though? Like, I get that Hall is on an expiring you know, $9.5 million deal when he signed a, a one-year COVID contract. But the Sabres actually showed, I think, a, a degree of intelligence and smarts in saying, what is the, in the realm of outcomes, what is the worst, what is the worst possible scenario? It's, it's exactly what we're watching right now, right? Taylor Hall's off to a slow start. The entire team can't score. His value has been undermined. But he still will be very eminently tradable to a contender at the deadline for something valuable, which is exactly why the Jeff Skinner thing is mystifying. It's like you're never going to trade him – period, on a fourth line or help the scratch world, he's got this, he's got $60 million left on him. Like, there, there, there seems to be no plan in recovering his game whatsoever. And it's not like Jeff Skinner's 36. So I, the, the entire thing is just, since the moment that they landed Eichel, it seems to be hope and prayer. They've went through how many coaches and GMs since then? I, I don't, it, it, to me, to me, if you're a team, and I, I, I've made, I make this comment every year at the trade deadline, but the good GMs know who the bad organizations are because they get predatory very quickly around the deadlines, around the offseason. And there's zero doubt in my mind that everyone, and I think Elliot Freeman and Sportsnet even said as much, the phone's ringing off the hook in Buffalo because everyone thinks they can get a deal out of Buffalo. And I don't mean a deal like make a trade. I mean the 80 cents on a dollar type of deal. And they're probably going to get it. 
That was going to be my next question, Travis. Do you think there's – what percentage chance would you put on Jack Eichel being trade for market value? Do you think the Sabres will come away thinking we've got even forget, – forget even value because I think we can all rule that out. Do we think the Sabres are going to walk away feeling like they did okay business in a Jack Eichel trade? No. No. Absolutely not. The only way the, only way the Sabres would ever get to that point – is if Eichel became so, – I don't want to use this word. I don't, I don't want to use the, the cancer word. But if, if Eichel basically said, I want to trade, and Sabre's like, nah, it's not going to happen right now, and he basically went nuclear, you know, the, the, the classic, well, trade me or I'm not playing, trade me or I'm going to sandbag it, that, that starts to change the math, right? Because at some point you have to be cognizant of your organizational culture, and you do not want your highest paid player, your most important player, your best player um, to – to start kind of moping around the locker room, which, by the way, I'm not even sure isn't happening right now, right? Like, right. No one likes to lose, and that's all Jack Eichel's ever done. I don't think they're ever going to get appropriate value for him. Um, and, and I also don't think – this year is so weird, too, because it's, it's, very, it's very hard to know what to expect at the deadline because, again, everyone's getting excited for what's on the horizon. But, again, the flat cap hasn't changed. A lot of the contenders are completely – Go look at Tampa and Vegas's cap situation. It's like, who are they fitting in? They couldn't afford me, and I can barely skate. I mean, this is some of these teams just don't have the flexibility. So Buffalo is going to have to figure out if if it ever came to a situation where they were going to trade Eichel. It it, it seems to me a summer move, an off season move, where teams have much more space. Teams also the, the value because it's shorter range in the value of where teams are selecting and what those picks are becomes more obvious. That's why you see trade draft. And again, I, I think the I think we're all dancing around what the real point is, which is do we see a scenario where Jack Eichel gets traded? I can't believe I'm saying this, but the answer is yes. I would still say that it would be a 20% chance, 15% chance, and a lot of it really ultimately rests with Eichel, not Sabres, right? I, I, I think if the Sabres were in the driver's seat, um, they, would, they would dismiss that right out of the gate, even in a season like this. But, I mean, Star players, even in the NHL, where they have very little say, I mean, not the NBA, but even in the NHL, we have started to see star players um, flex their way, maybe not into being traded into certain markets, but at least leveraging um, what they can a little bit stronger uh, in, in terms of, uh, of terms of facilitating some type of move, right? We've seen that probably a half dozen times over the last couple of years. Um, and, and again, like, uh, you know, I'll bring this up, right? Mark Stone basically did that, right? The, the Ottawa Senators, when they were going, we mentioned them earlier, when they were going through a full teardown, it was like, huh, Mark Stone. It was like, well, this guy seems like an absolute no-brainer to keep, right? Even the Eric Carlson thing was like, well, this guy had is coming off a brutal injury. Maybe there's value there. You can get a, you know, a bunch of picks and prospects. Like, the organization wanted to keep Mark Stone. Mark Stone wasn't so hot on the idea of sticking around for four years as Ottawa got caved in every night. And so – when those two dots connected, it was, hey, you're going to Vegas. And I think that is – those are the type of trades or scenarios that we're seeing a little bit more frequently in the NHL, which is why I don't think this Jack Eichel trade talk is, is – I don't. it's not crazy anymore. I, I, and I know, I know people get coy and dismissive about it from time to time, especially when the local media in Buffalo. But it's just the reality is he ended last season, and, and you'll have to go pull the quotes, but the end of last season um, – uh, I want to say February is right before the COVID stoppage. It was becoming clear, clear as day that he was becoming a little disenchanted 
this could not have made it any better, the stretch. I think he has to become sort of like an NBA player to actually get traded or use NBA leverage, I should say, uh, to get traded at the deadline. I just don't see it happening before this offseason. I, I know you said that, you know, 15 to 20% chance, and I agree with you. We've obviously seen the quotes from executives around the league uh, on The Athletic and other places saying, I think I think Heiko ends up a Ranger, which is one of the reasons we have you on, right? Is What do you see, or do you see any chances? It, could it even be 1%? It's at the deadline. To me, that's a, that's almost a no-go, no matter what. They're going to play out the whole season with Eichel. And I know the Rangers are going to be there when the time comes to offer a package. And I know a lot of Buffalo fans have said to me and Greg and many other people on Rangers Twitter and people who cover the team, like, it would have to include Lafreniere. It would have to include Kako or Adam Fox. And I got bad news for them. That's probably not happening. Well, so this is where this is where it gets interesting, right? So I I, I think the odds of a, of a deadline trade happening are close to zero, right? And, and again, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of Kevin Adams, but one of the one of the key things here is Buffalo has to know. I mean, you have you hope that they know, but they have to know that the number of suitors will grow in an off season, even if that's from two to four. That is significant when you're talking about trading a player of this caliber. You do not want to be trading a player in a one or two horse race because that is where you are going to get bludgeoned. You might get away with that, in a, you know, a, a, a second line winger type trade. Not with Jack Eichel. You're never going to do it. It's always better to hold, especially right now with the scoring at, a, at an all time career low that no one really believes is real anyway. Um, but the Rangers situation is interesting because I actually think that is the most logical fit because they have the space. They have the need, and they have the package that can woo Buffalo and interest them. And, hey, you know what? We actually do need to go into a rebuild. Um, I know no one wants to hear it, but if we actually want to compete, like there are certain buttons we're going to have to press because this is not working. Um, there's, there's a couple complicating factors with that, though. If I'm Buffalo, I don't make that trade, and I, I hold out for at least one of those names that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And if you say it, – it, it, now I think for the Rangers organization it is – which guy is completely untradeable? Is Lafreniere untradeable in a Jack Eichel deal? I don't. I think the answer is no. I I, I really mean that, and I, I stand here as someone who believes the only player who probably is not tradable in the world is Connor McDavid. I and I, I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that. I believe Crosby can get traded, Drysaddle can get traded, McKinnon can get traded. We just saw Mark Stone get traded. I mean, the, the, the reality is, if you're not McDavid, you are probably. Can, you probably can be had. The question is, of course, what, what type of price would the Rangers be willing to pay? Um, I, I think it's fairly significant. I mean, if you look at this, if you look at this Rangers lineup, there is a lot to like. It is, I think their average forward age is just above 24 years. Yep. They're getting contributions from a number of players. I, 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 it, is, it is hard to see where there is downside over the next few years for the Rangers and only upside. And if the Rangers can accelerate that by bringing in a player who would be on par with Artemi Panarin, who I argued was the Hart Trophy winner last year, I mean, that, that is a remarkable thing to say. And, again, I, I might be one of Mika's advantage ads, biggest fans on earth, but he's having a terrible year. And on top of that, like – even when he's having a good year, the Rangers aren't particularly strong down the middle right now. His, him not playing well down the middle has really exacerbated the need for that. So, again, I, I think ultimately this is a, uh, a calculated decision on the Rangers of how much is too much. But, man, if I'm, if I'm the Rangers and I see a guy like Jack Eichel available, and I think he might even be at 10% discount, 
and I've got true blue I've got true blue chip prospects that I can move in a trade for him, I'm gonna do it. I and that that's 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 a real that would be a real consideration of mine and I, I I have never been as one to fall as in love as much, and sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong with with prospects and how they're developing. Because I think I think teams who can cut bait early on prospects who might be high in name recognition value but lower on the contribution side of the game, I think the teams that figure that out before everyone else are really, really, really set. And those are the teams that win long term because they know which ones to keep and which ones to move on because. Uh, you know what? This guy was drafted as a you know a, a top eight top eight pick in the first round, but we project him as a second line winger long term. We're going to get off him because we don't like what we see early. I, I think that's been a hallmark of well-run organizations, and that's not a point on any one Rangers prospect in particular. But I think that is the math that they need to start doing. While we could talk about Eichel trade scenarios all day long, if you had to guess, Travis, who do you think will be the biggest star traded at this year's deadline? All things considered, understanding that there's an expansion draft coming up, it's a COVID year. If some team's going from the U.S. to Canada, there's a two-week isolation period that we have to take into account. Who do you think's the biggest star? Do you think anyone is even going to be considered a star that gets moved at this year's deadline? Uh, yeah, yeah. the the latter The latter question, the answer is Taylor Hall. And I, I, if if Taylor Hall is still a star, I think he is. I mean, that, that's a different definition for everyone. But I think Taylor Hall would qualify, and I think he's going to get traded. I, quite frankly, there's zero way that Buffalo will not trade him. He's an expiring deal, and I cannot imagine Taylor Hall. I mean, this is a guy who came from Edmonton and New Jersey, and he's probably thinking, get me the hell out of Buffalo. I mean, that, that is – you don't need to stand any more than that. I, I do think, though, the point you're making is accurate, which is absent a couple of names, I, I, I just I, – I don't see a lot of activity because the cap impact has been so adverse and the teams that normally are buying up players left and right are not only, I mean, we're not talking about, oh, they've only got a million cap. I mean, they are capped out to the dollar. And and so a lot of this requires salary movement transactions. I do think, I do think that the more interesting discussion is really which team is going to be incentivized to become a seller that maybe wasn't to start the year. And I think one of the teams, there's two teams actually in particular that might fit that bill, and both are Canadian teams. I think Vancouver and I think Calgary, um, considering their cap situations respectively and considering where they are in the standings right now and considering the fact that most of their trade partners would be in the U.S. where you don't, where you have way less uh, restrictions on, on what quarantining looks like and how quickly they can join the teams. I think those two teams might be open for business. And again, maybe that's more marginal business, but if you're Vancouver, you have to seriously consider selling this year. I mean, there's there's really no way around it. Um, The other, the other, the other interesting point, um, the other interesting point on this would be how many teams are already doing prep work for the expansion draft that you mentioned, because everyone's got a plan, but no one really knows how to navigate it at the deadline. At least that's the, that's the feel or perception that I get because a lot of teams still feel that they are in this compressed window where, you know, it, there's probably 26 teams still alive for a playoff berth as we're talking about this right now. And that, that usually is a um, disenchanting factor to encourage teams to make trades as sellers because guess what? Every coach and every GM thinks his team is better than they're playing, even Tampa, even Vegas. And they generally believe in their guys. Um, and usually that combined with a flat cap 
does not mean a wealth of trades, but again, I, I mean, to answer, to answer, I think Taylor Hall um, is probably at the top of that list. And I think Vancouver for sure, and possibly Calgary as well, depending on what direction they go are going to be sellers in this market. I do want to, I, just, oh, I love the point you made about Taylor Hall. And we didn't even mention that he also played in Arizona. Dude, dude just loves finding the broken franchises. He, Taylor Hall, and, and the thing that kills me about Taylor Hall, too, is his, <laughs> he found each of those teams at the wrong time, right? Like, and maybe there hasn't been a great time for any of those organizations in the last 10, 15 years. But I do think about what if his career trajectory was reverse and he was on Edmonton now, like playing with Connor McDavid. I, that, that, to me, even an 80% of Taylor Hall on, on McDavid's wing is so terrifying. It, it, it's hard to even fathom. And yet he started his career when he was the guy. And <laughs> I mean, he started in the era when everyone was getting into stats and analysis and everyone was like, man, the Oilers really suck. And that's all we said for 10 years. Um, that's when Taylor Hall was the guy in Edmonton. He leaves, they actually get competitive. Um, he missed the devil's window. The devils were crappy by the time he got there. Terrible run for him. Hoping it breaks right going forward. First round pick machine. First overall pick machine, rather. Uh, you did mention another name I wanted to kind of touch on. I'm, I'm very curious about the North Division and, well, the Leafs, if they're really good or not. Of course, that's the always the topic for people that don't watch the Leafs, if they are like the juggernaut, if they are or not. One name you mentioned, though, with Vancouver. You know, kind of what's going on with Elias Pettersson up in Vancouver? Is I, I know I've heard little rumors, little nuggets here and there that he could be unhappy there. And I, I don't want to start trying to make this an NBA sort of situation where it's like, hey, look at all these disgruntled stars that are going to try and move. But that's a guy that was a top 10 player last year. Uh, I think a lot of people, including some people at the Athletic, would rank him easily uh, top five in if you were starting a franchise. Has there been any nuggets of what's going on and how he's feeling over in Vancouver despite them having another uh, lackluster season? <laughs> Uh, so I, you you just jogged my memory on one other point that I really wanted to make too. Gotcha. Do not let me forget Patterson. However, I'm going to come back to it. But I I think there is a one of the reasons why I don't think there's going to be as many bigger names traded, and why I also think that even though the NHL is not going in the direction of the NBA, it may inch to the 20 yard line of the NBA. Let's say what happened a month ago. I mean. You could not, you could not make that up. What happened between Winnipeg and Columbus, where you have two players inside of, let's say, the top forty forwards across the entire league in Patrick Laine and and uh, Patrick Laine and Pierre Luc Dubois, basically have a falling out with their respective organizations to a way that it was like, well, this is never going to work here. We need to find a trade. And I, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, think Yarmo and the Winnipeg Jets front office were probably sitting there saying. Man, we're going to get 80 cents on this dollar, too. And they somehow found each other at the same time and engineered this crazy trade where a really good player is moved for a really good player, and everyone's like, great hockey trade. And the only thing I thought was, yeah, it was a great hockey trade, but both of them got very, very lucky. And since then, I've been thinking, like, man, if this actually becomes more of a common theme, could we see teams more comfortable trading stars because more stars may be available in return? However, that brings me back to the Pedersen point. There is no way – with the amount of rope the current front office has gotten that the ownership group would ever let Elias Pettersson be traded this year. It is not happening. It's never going to happen. Even if he asked for it, it wouldn't happen because no, org- no front office has gotten more rope and more slack 
maybe Mark Bergevin in Montreal, but I think that he's on the hot seat now after Claude Julien's firing. Um, I, I cannot think of another front office that's gotten more rope and with less results than Vancouver. I, I just I, I cannot fathom it. I can't see it. The, the Canucks have to recognize he is their best player. I'm sure they do. And, and again, absent another up here, Luke Dubois manifesting like, oh, I can just fall into another first line guy. Maybe that's the case. So I, 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 I can't I can't see it. But maybe longer term, these trades more broadly do happen because again, like I, I think about this Winnipeg Columbus trade. How many times have we actually seen that? In the middle of a season, it's it's very infrequent in the NHL, and I I can't I can't I haven't figured out yet if it is a total outlier and and sheer luck or the canary in the coal mine. But I'm starting to wonder if it is the latter. And again, I'm not saying NBA explosion, but that that was a fascinating, fascinating trip. Agreed. Yeah, this is all. That's pretty much everything I think we wanted to cover, except for the last thing I really want to ask. How good are the Leafs, really? If the Leafs played in the East, would they? Where would they? Where would they be? Could they compete with a team like Boston, could who notoriously kicks their ass? Could they compete with uh, the Penguins and everybody in the Mass Mutual East Division? That is just, uh, to be honest, I watch it all the time. It's hell. It really is. And, and I just think that the the North is has been particularly weak uh, from an outsider perspective. Did you just slip at a mass mutual? Funny story, true story. Um, <laughs> I, I once thought, about three weeks ago, I put the sponsor names of the uh, of the division in one of the articles at PSN, and I, you know, I filed it. My editor gets back to me with his usual markup, and he's like, "If you think I'm ever going to let the Scotia North be printed at our wow. website, I'm like, oh, of course, I'll, I'll remove it." But I really just want to call him like the Scotia. Just because of how ridiculous they, it is. But, they paid for it. I want to give them their due. <laughs> They're not paying me, though. That's true. Um, me too. Me that's, that's a separate tangent. But um, uh, to, to, this, to this specific question, uh, I think one of the interesting things about this season is if you look at the NHL standings this year with all of the real life and you look at all of the teams sitting in playoff positions, it is almost a perfect snapshot of what we saw a year ago and two years ago, right? The best teams are still Tampa, Vegas, Colorado, you know, and, and it just goes, and Boston, it goes on and on and on from here. And if you actually use last year's full season adjusted goal differential as a talent proxy, which I actually think this is the one case it's fair because of how little that happened this off season. It's almost like a continuation of last season. Um, you can start to get, you can, you can use that as an assessment or as a proxy for what is the true talent level for each team. And then measure how those teams competed against one another in their new divisions because, again, there's no out-of-division play. And the reason why I think that's important is what Toronto did was ultimately trade a division where they had three minnows and two whales um, for a division that had six average, five average competitors and, a, and an Ottawa team that just sucks but for some reason gives Toronto fits. And I, I say that because Toronto now is a favorite in every single game, whereas, you know, 15 times a year within their own division, they would be close to pick them or an underdog, um, which is substantially different. But they also don't have, you know, Detroit and Buffalo to beat up on uh, how many times a given year, right? Ottawa still exists, but even they're a little better than I think last year. Um, and, and, and the bottom half of what is an awful Atlantic division doesn't exist, right? I mean, the, the teams you're punching down at are Vancouver and, and Calgary and Montreal. And like, these, these are fairly competitive teams. Um, I, I think Toronto. I think to that end, I think Toronto is about a very similar team to what we saw a year ago, 
um, and they're just taking care of business. And I think that's that's a good thing, not a bad thing, right? It's it's not easy to take care of business. It's not easy to rack up wins, and they're doing that. Um, but I, I, again, the, the million dollar question is what is, what is it going to look like when they play Tampa, Boston, Vegas, Colorado, right? Just to pick four, right? Like that's that is an animal they are never going to see this year. Um, they are never they are never going to be in a situation, save maybe a Montreal game, where they are really outpossessed on a night or multiple nights. Um, and again, the playoff format is going to see them play what? Uh, some combination of let's say Montreal and Winnipeg. Um, the, solid teams, not 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 uh, not uh, not undermining them at all. But certainly, the, the one risk of playing in this division is they don't get to see what a superstar team looks like. And again, like you don't want that to be a boogeyman, but for a team with cup aspirations, that's a real factor, and they are not getting a single game of that work this year. That's why I'm so happy. Yeah, was, that, oh, sorry, Greg, go on. I was just going to – last last question for me was uh, – so, Ryan, I don't know if you want to finish your thought first. I, my, my thought is this, Travis. That's why I'm so happy the Rangers play in the hell that is the East because if they want to be cup contenders in the next couple of years, the best way to do that is play against great talent every single night. True. True. Uh, Travis, my last thought – if you had to choose, what would you rather do? Would you rather trade for Jack Eichel or give up four first-round picks for Matt Barzal? <laughs> after that move? After, wait, is this before or after that move he put on last? It was before. That, before, because I got to tell you, that, that move doesn't surprise me for Matt Barzal. It's really fucking good. I, I cannot. I, Matt Barzal is incredible, but I, I cannot emphasize enough. I am extremely bullish on any team that goes to make a move for Jack Eichel. He's as undervalued as he's going to get. The guy has a, a career track record of producing full line, first line results at every single level. There is no reason to believe his head is in the right space right now with the team that flat out sucks around him. Um, and again, the one thing the Rangers do have are very capable wingers and the, the players and the types of pieces you want to put around an outstanding distributor of the puck. And I, I mean, I, I can't name, I, I would struggle to name five players who are better, who are better distributors of the puck in the middle of the ice than Jack Eichel. I, I really mean that. And I, I think that if you're, if you're, if we're bringing this podcast full circle and we're talking about that, like that to me is the, if you're the Rangers, that is the move. And, and maybe it's overpriced and the Rangers have to go to plan B. It is what it is. But I, even on a short list in a vacuum of guys who I think would alter would fundamentally change their outlook at a reasonable price and their three-year future, let's say, Eichel's in that top three. That, that's just a fact. I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think Greg is what he's saying is, why doesn't anybody sign an offer sheet? Because we're a big offer sheet club here. <laughs> Where... Yeah, that, that's my point. Because what, what we've discovered now on Ranger Twitter is the Rangers have collected all these pretty little toys and now nobody wants to trade them. So what they could have done is just traded toys that kids don't have yet for another shiny, very young toy. And nobody the, wanted to the, do it for reasons. I, I'm so the, – the, the, the compensation – if there's like three things I could change in the NHL, one of the three is offer sheets are great, except they absolutely suck in design now because the only value that an offer sheet gets is if you can either leverage the middle of the compensation range, the first and third combination or the second-round pick combination uh, – or sorry, the second-round pick offer – um, for second-tier, third-tier players, I thought Kevin LeBanc in San Jose was an absolute no-brainer offer sheet candidate like I have never seen before. San Jose couldn't pay him. They gave him a phony contract for a year, and the league was completely fine with it. And that's, that's when the moment I knew that offer sheets were never real and they were fictitious. Um, but in the case, the other, the, other piece, the other reason why I hate the offer sheet 
structure is it is so penalizing at the top. So if you were to go all in on a player like Barzell or anyone for that matter at the top of that competition rate, I mean, four first-round picks is so significant. And usually you can engineer trades away that are far less crippling and punitive than the cost you would give up in an offer sheet. Now, that said, I have I've written about this for 10 freaking years, and no one will do it. This is what you need to do if you're interested in actually being predatory in this league is find a capped-out team with two restricted free agents, one of which – you can throw an offer that has the first and third compensation range, the second which has a second-round pick compensation range, and the team either faces the decision of accepting one of the offer sheets and accepting one of the picks as compensation or exploding over the cap as a result. Because if you look at the numbers for the first and third combination or the second-round offer, it's about 7 or $8 million, and that can absolutely blow a team's cap through the roof if they may not be able to trim down. But since no team is actually going to hem anyone else up, and make their organizations better because they're all friends, um, then just no one offer sheets. And that's, that's the way the world works. Congratulations yeah, to Tampa. Travis, you're, you're talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> like, if only the Tampa Bay Lightning didn't have Anthony Sorelli and Mikhail Sergachev available at the exact same time. Huh. Mind-boggling. Mind Absolutely mind-boggling. And, and I, there, there, are, there are so many players. It, it's not even – Tampa Bay is a great example, but there are so many examples of teams – who are in a cap crunch, who have second-line wingers, second-pairing defensemen, maybe not super sexy names, but valuable contributors, you're seeing they've got like 100 grand in cap space, and you can throw them a first, a third, uh, or, or a second-round pick and blow them over the cap at about 4 or $5 million, um, in a way that you know that you're going to have to give up more in a trade, but you can woo the player via an offer sheet and give up less as a result. But again, like, I, you know, the argument I always get from – the hockey insiders of the world every time I talk about this is well these guys have to do business all the time and they're not interested in you know elbowing one another and it's like okay I, I do understand that but then just, just get this out of the CBA then. What, what is what's the point, the point? This? yeah what's the point my final parting shot here Travis is as followed I agree with you that if you want to get a player like Jack Eichel you should have to trade Lafreniere you should have to trade a Capococco and Adam Fox to get that kind of talent I've never seen a star player trade, and I know Gregory and I have said this over and over again. We've beaten this dead horse that has gotten fair value, and I just think the package won't include one of those three. It'll include, you know, two first-round picks, Kravstov, Niels Lundqvist, a couple of different aspects to make the money work uh, if that does happen. I just, I just don't see Buffalo uh, getting the value that they want here or, or getting the ELC-controlled contract of a Capococco or, or Lafreniere as much as they want it. Absolutely not, and I, I bring this back to the original point I made, which is no team knows their prospects better than the team that owns the prospects today. And, again, I think we saw that in the – again, I'll bring it back to the Vegas Golden Knights, right? They made two trades of significance in recent history. They get Mark Stone, absolute bona fide superstar, probably a top 12 player in the league, and they get Max Pacioretty, a first-line 34-goal guy, a top 50 player in the league, right? you're easily making the argument right now that they gave up more than Max Pacioretty trade than the Mark Stone trade. And I think part of that is because Ottawa fell into the allure of, ooh, we've got this slick puck-moving defenseman and we just traded Eric Carlson. Turns out Nick Suzuki might have been a materially better piece um, for Ottawa to go and get. But again, this is the situation where if you're Vegas and you know which guys are going to move the needle and they made their bet on Cody Glass as one example – and they know which guys are worth parting with, even if they become stars elsewhere. Like Nick Suzuki, Nick Suzuki looks fantastic in Montreal. But you know what? If they thought he's 
5% less than the player we thought he was going to be at the time. He's still a top six guy. There's no doubt about it. But we have watched this guy every day for a year and a half. That organization maybe scouted him twice because we know how the NHL scouting game works. And they look at his hockey DB page to see how many points he's racking up in junior or developmental leagues. And that usually is good enough to facilitate a trade. And I, I think that puts the Rangers, I, I can't emphasize this enough, it puts them in a really good spot because they know between the Foxes and the Lafreniere's. Like, I get Lafreniere's only had 20 or so games in the NHL, but that's 20 games they have already seen from him where they can start adjusting their priors up or down, and that's true for all of their prospects. And for the Rangers, it's not just about facilitating that trade. It's also about convincing Buffalo or walking Buffalo into the deal for the prospect that you are comfortable giving up. Yep, and they have a lot of those. Travis, I cannot thank you enough for spending the time with us. Anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here? No, uh, I just hope uh, the New York, uh, the upstate New York uh, news circuit slows down a little bit for you guys. So, uh, yeah, not, the nine to five. That's just great. Uh, yeah, I got, I got news for you. Not looking good. Um, <laughs> seems, seems to be getting worse as opposed to better right now. So, oh well, what are you gonna do? Listen, uh, we're gonna add here too. You can follow Travis on Twitter. Uh, tra- Travis is just Travis Yost, is, is it not? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, don't follow me. I tweet shit anyway. All right, cool. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Mead. You can follow Greg at Bushwood's Break. We'll be back next week. We love you guys. Bye. Hey, so earlier I talked about working with Artifact and recording an ode to Tanner Glass, and I know we just ended the episode, but if you listen to the ads or the, the wonderful section of the transition today, I talked about uh, how I did an ode to Tanner Glass with Artifact, so here that is right now. Hello, I'm John from Artifact, here with Ryan Mead of Blue Shirts Breakaway, and this conversation is a tribute to a Rangers legend known as Tanner Glass. Tanner Glass is who you would call a stereotypical NHL enforcer in a league that is sort of, at the time when he was playing, and he played all the way up to 2017, that role was sort of dying off and Tanner has had what I would consider a very interesting career. He got called at pizza hut to let him know he got drafted uh, a situation where they pretty much told him he had to leave because <laughs> he was like, they're going to, I'm going to go be an NHL prospect uh, at pizza hut. So he quit his job. He became an NHL prospect. And then he eventually ended up with the New York Rangers uh, as they became sort of Stanley cup, not favorites, but uh, contenders for many years in a row. He was also sort of like the the quote-unquote coach favorite during that time because he was a player who couldn't really play, skate, do anything in hockey, could only fight, and would play over more talented players pretty much constantly. And so what, looking back now, is his legacy on the Rangers? How do fans feel about him today? So Tanner Glass is an absolute legend, and there's a lot of reasons for that. In his career, he only has 24 goals. And that's, that's it. He played from 2007 to 2018, three of those years, 2014 to 2017 with the New York Rangers on his time during the New York Rangers. He scored six goals, pretty much nothing. I mean, it's, it's impressive. He scored even one, but in the 2017 playoffs versus the Montreal Canadians, something, and I would say magical happened. What was that you asked, John? I'll tell you. At this point in time, there is a player named Carey Price for the Montreal Canadiens. He is a world-renowned goalie. Not only does the NHL media eat him up and think he's the best thing since sliced bread all the absolute time, 
But this year, the Canadians have started to make their playoff run with Carey Price in goal. Well, here we are. New York Rangers versus the, the Montreal Canadiens. And in what I believe to be the first game of the playoff series at around the 10-10 uh, mark in the first period, there was a face-off in the Canadian zone. At this point in time, Tanner Glass, one of the worst hockey players of all time, has a face-off. He's playing on the left wing, I believe, at the time. And he does what is only could be considered one of the most magical playoff goals of all time. He takes the puck, doesn't look, throws it over his back shoulder and a backhand, and somehow gets past Carey Price, one of the most legendary goalies, according to hockey media, of all time. And this man who just absolutely can't do anything right scores a playoff goal in the first game of a series that would end up leading the Rangers. Uh, they would end up getting eliminated in the next round where Tanner Glass, we'll talk about in a minute, would have some other controversies. But at this point in time, set the Rangers off on the right foot to beat the Montreal Canadiens in, in what can only be considered a magical epic moment. Wow, in- incredible. And truly one of those cult heroes, it sounds like. And tell me where Tanner Glass falls in the pantheon of Rangers cult heroes over the years. There's a lot of cult heroes um, right now. Our cult hero is sort of Capo Caco, the number two all-world draft pick, which I started at Church for, <laughs> Church of Caco. That's gone really well. But I would say for enforcer-wise, there's always every single year this sort of player that all the fans rank on, whether it would be Michael Haley, whether it was uh, – I mean, there's just a plethora of so many enforcer players that I can't believe the coach is playing this guy over this prospect every single night. And Tanner Glass, to me – at least from my vision and in my opinion, reigns above them all. Because not only was he like the enforcer that played over a noted prospect at the time, Pavel Buchnevich, who's become quite an absolute beast for the New York Rangers, he's now back with the Rangers. He now is the prospect development coach for the New York Rangers after being the guy who can't play hockey after all these years. So somehow they decided that guy who couldn't play hockey should develop our prospects, but they brought him back. And so now tell me yeah, about these controversies that he's had, because the type of player like this always comes with some of that extra baggage. Well, it's not exactly controversies, but in the second round of that playoffs, after he scored what, what would be the tremendous goal versus Carey Price, they play the Ottawa Senators, a team they are strictly better than in 2017. It, it is sort of what is called the last run for the New York Rangers of, of that sort of Henrik Lundqvist dynasty era. Where, and by, when I say dynasty, I mean never won a cup and was absolutely super sad. In this, uh, uh, in this Ottawa series versus uh, the New York Rangers, they are the favorites. They are pretty much playing against a team that has some talent, and including one player named Eric Carlson, who's playing on a broken foot, and they end up losing to them. And, and one of the games, and I happened to be at the Garden for this, at the end of Game 5, I believe, or Game 4, I can't remember what it was, but it was one of them, sorry. Tanner Glass ends up fighting, not one, not two, but three different Ottawa Senators. And the last time I'll ever see him in a New York Ranger uniform live. After this series, which I believe goes uh, six games, Tanner Glass then goes to Calgary and then retires. But in this last final hurrah for Tanner Glass, he does what he does best. The bench is clear. I believe there only ends up being like five players on each bench. Everyone gets sent to the locker room afterwards, and Tanner spikes three consecutive Ottawa Senators in what can only be construed as the perfect send-off to the perfect enforcer career of just constantly fighting and never being able to play hockey. It's an incredible art form, really, and I love that he's now back 
with the team, able to influence a new generation of prospects in his dark arts of hockey. Can you speak to what it feels like to have him back at the team in this in this role? Yeah, it's so weird. The guy who couldn't skate, the guy who is just was was an enforcer who played so many years in the NHL collecting checks, serious money for the ability to be huge and throw fists is now on the prospect development team of one of the youngest teams in the league. There's something special about that. Now I have the, I've had the opportunity to meet Tanner glass just very briefly. And he is a tremendously nice and well-spoken individual. He is amazing. He's actually been the great white Buffalo of blue shirts breakaway of we've been trying to get him on the show for years because he is this cult hero. And I think the Rangers probably felt the same way. Like, Oh yeah. Tanner was with the organization. We really like what he brought to the locker room and that veteran leadership, which teams all often also covet uh, somehow in every single situation and every single sport, I think, you know, and they were like, okay, let's bring him back to develop prospects. Like, couldn't you think of something else he could do uh, that, <laughs> that he might help, but Hey, they do say if, uh, sometimes the best teachers are the amateurs. Exactly. And it's, it's funny that his personality doesn't maybe quite match his um, on-the-ice persona. And so I was wondering if you had any insight into what did his teammates feel about playing with him? What was he like in the locker room? And what were his old teammates' takes on his antics? It's so funny because I think you'll never hear a, a – teammate really go off the record and say bad things about NHL enforcers because it's sort of, it is a dying part of the game and it's mostly died out at this part at this point in 2021. But even back in 2017, it was still a, a position and people respect that position in, in the NHL, no matter what it is. These guys are the, these are your protectors. These are the people that if you get hit, the reason they're on the team is to go beat the crap out of the other guy to hit you. So you're never going to be like, bad mouthing the guy that is only there to protect you. If you get hit, he's not there to skate. He's not there to score. He's not there to pass to you. He's only there to hit the other dude who hits you hard. And that's it. So I I would imagine that. uh, And from what I've heard, at least through the grapevines, I've never heard a single bad word about the legend Tanner glass ever. Not once outside of from fans being extremely upset that he was on their team. You mentioned the fact that his role is kind of, changing, evolving, getting left in the past a little bit. So looking into 10 years ahead in hockey and seeing that maybe players like Tanner won't have a home or a regular role on teams, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing if hockey loses players of the likes of Tanner Glass? Of the the enforcer? Yeah, there, there's something special about the really bad player on your team. Um, no matter what sport you're rooting for, there's always that scapegoat, that one particular person. And what I've found in covering the Rangers for all these years is it doesn't matter if it's an enforcer and it doesn't matter what that particular role is. There's always that guy you find that your whole fan base will blame everything on. And it's usually the worst player who gets paid the most. Now the enforcer, the enforcer position is just coming out of hockey as, as people find analytics and more skill to be more useful. And maybe that won't be the case. And I think they'll always be sort of, a hybrid version of the tough guy that can also score. That's sort of the new level of you want to find the guy who is tough and can actually play hockey. And yeah, it's sad to kind of see the, the, the death of the enforcer, but players like Tanner, uh, just like centers of old in the NBA had their time to shine and the game has outgrew them. 
going back to the start of Tanner's tenure on the Rangers, do you remember at all what it felt like when he did sign? What were the expectations for him, and did he meet those expectations? The expectations was for him to be a total and absolute dumpster fire, and he met every single one of those expectations up to the moment he scored on Carey Price. I can only imagine, and I remember the, uh, I mean, I wasn't fully integrated into the Twitterscape at that point in time, but I was online and following the Rangers, and it was a disaster. People knew right away that Elaine Vigneault, the coach of the Rangers, were go- was going to play Tanner Glass big minutes on nights that it shouldn't, he shouldn't just see the ice, and that is exactly what happened over and over and over again. Players that had better talent, that could have given the Rangers a better chance to win, constantly sat as Tanner Glass took the ice. And that's just what it was. Uh, all Ranger fans knew it was coming. We all sat there, and we watched in, with, in glory as Tanner uh, attempted to skate. <laughs> that was it. Incredible. What do you think was uh, the head coach's justification in playing him so much? Was it just – did it come down to like, as it so often does with players like this, just – vibes where it's like, oh, we need experience. We need some sort of nebulous X factor that um, only this player brings. The NHL is notorious to have a coaching carousel that just continues to rebrand and retread the old same coaches, the good old boys club, we call it. And Elaine Video is one of the uh, major players in that good old boys club. One of the things that Elaine Video loves to do is play players he feels like don't really bring a lot of value. I don't know why that is, but it always has been, no matter where he's gone, he's played the fourth line enforcer as sort of a uh, way to keep his team nimble, I guess, and keep them protected. I, I really could never figure it out, and he's done it on every single team, including the Flyers this year where he is now. Uh, he's had a great track record of success in the regular season, but no matter what happens, he always plays these vets, who I think he regards in a, in as battle-tested and high character, and as you pointed out, sort of the Tanner Glass vibes, and you can put spaces all in between those letters. And <laughs> it's just it's just a situation where he goes out and plays people that just aren't good enough, but they, he must respect them in some way, and I, I think that has to be it. So finally, taking into account Tanner's career on the Rangers, the influence and meaning he's had to this fan base, if Tanner was listening right now, what would you like to say to him? Tanner, and I know you're listening. Don't lie. I know you're out there. Come on the show. Come on Blue Shirts Breakaway. And let's discuss the entire ride. From the moment you signed, from the fan backlash, to playing for Elaine Vigneault, for what Pavel Buchnevich probably felt about you, to scoring against Carey Price, we've, we've wanted you on the show for years, Tanner. We've pined for you. I've met you and gave you a sticker with your face on it. It said the one true God. You looked at me like I had three heads, but we were friendly. Come on the podcast. Explain the experience. Tell me about Pizza Hut and leaving. Tell me about scoring against Carrie Price. Tell me about all the times you hit people directly in the face and how you couldn't skate. I want to hear it. The fans demand it. And Tanner, all I need you to do right now, other than come on the podcast, is keep developing our prospects because I cannot wait until you are eventually the head coach of the New York Rangers, and I will criticize you in no way. Thank you, Tanner, for all of your service and everything you do for us in the future. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.